time, wrong place, mistakes. Cold case, now chase, no breaks. Unsafe is the faith in the faith. It's a cold case. It's a cold, cold case. You're as sick as your secrets in a lie can conceal. Welcome to Cold Case MHS, where real education meets real life. I'm your host, Randy Hubbard, an instructor of Cold Case MHS, and we thank you for listening. Millions of people fight the demon known as addiction. As a matter of fact, everyone has something they can't do without. It could be eating too much, it could be smoking or being addicted to caffeine, or in today's world you can easily get lost in the world of social media, but that's a whole different story. Almost everyone has been affected by addiction, either through their family or their friends, but the only ones that truly understand it are those that are going through it. Often many never face the disease and just fall into the abyss of despair. For those who finally see the light and ask for help, it now becomes a continuous battle to jump onto that so-called wagon and stay there. Those that describe the process said it's hard to hang on to that wagon. Sometimes it's just hanging on by their fingernails. When you see someone who's successful at beating the odds of addiction, they seem so happy, and in most cases they are. But all will say that the monster still lurks in the darkness. Daniel Trotman was on that track. He had jumped onto the wagon and seemed to be taking the reins to beating his alcohol addiction. He was outrunning that monster to the light. Like many say, falling off the wagon is part of the process. But one night for Daniel Trotman, falling off the wagon became deadly. Welcome back to Cold Case MHS. I would like my group today to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Elise. Hi, I'm Jacob. Hi, I'm Bailey. Big things going on for these guys. Jacob has got a big meet coming up. You want to explain a little bit about that? Yeah, this weekend I've got indoor state, and I'm just got three events. I'm just hoping to do really well. A unique situation for Jacob is that his twin brother also runs with him, and they run in the same races. Yep. So how's that go when you guys? Run? Um, it makes the rivalry a little big because we're always just competing, head, competing. But we also got to realize we're also running for Mason. That's pretty cool, though, that both of you are in the same thing. So, at least, what's your plans down the road here? I know you got a couple ideas of where you're going to go. Uh, yeah, I'm still deciding for college next year, and I'm between Ohio State and South Carolina. Two nice places. South Carolina is a lot warmer. Yeah. And Bailey, it sounds like you're going into the family business. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking that college is like too much work for me, honestly, <laughs> and I just wanted to like you know just get right into my career and just get things rolling. You know. Nothing wrong with that. This case has had some serious roadblocks along the way, and that's one of the things that we run into when we're doing this kind of work. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. First thing, tell us about how you picked this particular case. We were looking online, and we were struggling to find a case that looked like something we could accomplish, and then we ended up finding this one, and all of us just agreed that we would wanted to look more into it. Tell us about your case and who this individual is. 
Daniel was a 27-year-old from Columbus. He was working as a mortgage broker at the time. Uh, he went out to the bar that night. He kind of like fell off the wagon. He was a recovering alcoholic. Uh, he went to the bar that night. Was it October 24th? Uh, he started drinking. He met some guys. He just disappeared that night. What about Daniel in general? Can you give us a little bit about who he is? He was Daniel. Time? He really liked the outdoors and stuff. His favorite thing to do was rock climbing, and he was he wasn't a big guy or stuff, but he just loved being outside. One thing that we found out was just he was a recovering alcoholic, so that was probably a big thing in his life that we figured out. One thing that we have to remember when doing these cases is that people like Daniel are not just what happened to them or what they're going through. They are people just like you and I. They have things like spending time outside that really make them happy. They have hopes and dreams that they want to fulfill, but unfortunately circumstances did not allow that to happen. He was starting to turn around. Tell us about those years prior to or those weeks prior to this happening. We've talked to a couple sources and from what we've gathered, he was doing good and he decided to go to a bar. It's unknown like if he told anyone or if his parents or his mom knew who we believe he had a close relationship with. But we know when she found out she was a little disappointed after the fact. But we also had a source say that he was doing really good in his recovery so it wasn't too weird for him to be going out uh, to a bar. Also, he just, it was just like he just got his new job, he just got a new apartment, got a cat and stuff, so it just looked like his life was all going good for him, because previous years, I guess it was low. And that new job, but what exactly was that new job? You did, you mentioned that he was a mortgage broker, but who did he work for? And Yeah, he was uh, working for Allied Mortgage Group for a while. Do you know if he got that job on his own? Did he get help? Um, he he got help from one of his friends. His one of his friends was a worker there, and he helped him get that job because beforehand he was a dishwasher at some restaurant. <laughs> now, when you started looking into this case, one of the first things we do is try to figure out what was the crime scene and what was the situation that night. Tell us about the crime scene itself, how we got to that point, and what we can possibly learn from that. Daniel was found in a cornfield off of this road that's like 15 minutes away from the bar he disappeared at. It was like five days later after they found him, he was like horribly beaten. There wasn't any blood or anything at the cornfield, so the police determined that he wasn't murdered there, but he was murdered somewhere else. Another thing unusual about Daniel's body is the detective indicated that the decomposition did not match him being in the elements for five days. They actually said he was dumped at the site probably hours before he was found. So where was he? And what did they do to him for all that time? The owner of the cornfield son is actually who found him and he immediately called the police. And then he was beaten like in the head mainly. There was really nothing on his body, but they said his head was just beaten so bad they couldn't tell how it happened. What does that tell us about our suspects? Well, we can assume that it was definitely a personal crime and that Daniel knew the person who did this, but the murder weapon couldn't be determined because of how severe the wounds were, so that left a little bit more mystery on how this happened. I mean, you also could think that this person was a very violent person, be able to do that to somebody and beat them up like that. It would just have to take a lot in someone. Could have also been like a group of guys, you know, Maybe someone that he owed money to or something along those lines, we're not really sure. Just the fiercity at which they murdered him is incredible. 
What does it also tell you about your suspects, the fact that they just put him out into the field? I don't know if he was actually face up, face down, or what. So when they found his body, it was October, when he went missing and when they found it. So that's usually around the season that uh, farmers will go through their corn. The person who killed Daniel uh, might have thrown him into that cornfield in hopes that the harvest just runs over his body and erases any evidence of him. Was he found far off the road, fairly close to the road? We found um, off the road. We never got really a distance from how far the road was exactly. Okay. It was just in the field. Yeah. Okay. This seems strange to me. This crime seems so personal, yet they just throw his body into the field, which seems so impersonal. Were these guys just that brutal? Or were they smart enough to know that if they put the body there, that the combine would destroy the evidence? So did the farmer who found it, or the farmer's son, did he see it from far away, or did he get close to hitting him, or? Do we know? We don't know for sure because we talked to one of the people that we talked to said that the farmer's son will not talk about it because it was something like they put in the past and stuff. She just told us that the farmer's son was out working and he came across the body and right when he came across the body he went back to the house and called the police. That particular night, describe a little bit more to us what happened during the day, what happened right after work, you know, what could have happened after that. We knew he went to work that day, and then we knew after work he went to the bar, and then while he was at the bar, they said that he saw two colleagues that he was worked at the same place, and then later that night, him, and they never said like who, but they just said a group of people went to a strip club that was nearby, and then they came back. And the bar, it was named Woo Doggy's Grill, and it's no longer a bar. And like we said earlier, nobody really knows why he went, especially considering he was a recovering alcoholic. But from what we could find, we believe they also had food there, and it appears he went alone. So there are some unanswered questions there. Do you think that the suspects knew that he was a recovering alcoholic? I would think no, because I, I feel like that would probably be something he was already on the right path, so I think it's something he wouldn't admit to. Maybe if he gets closer with these people, because they really just said they were colleagues, but they didn't really know each other. And then I just think, especially if we had a new workplace, I don't think a lot of people knew about it. Do you think it was somebody he worked with, or do you think it was somebody else? I think that the two men that he saw that night and left the bar with are definitely suspects. They've never really said anything to the police, which also makes them uh, a little bit more mysterious. We're not completely sure, and it was hard to find information on them, but that's definitely red flag. Yeah, like they really didn't really talk to the police, and we just, in a case like this, if you uh, didn't do anything, I don't know why you wouldn't talk to them and try to help them out, especially if it's a fellow worker. So it does sound like the police that Daniel knew whoever it was that, that committed this crime, at least somewhat. Yeah. Now, getting back to that, the whole research into it, you had a lot of problems. You had a lot of roadblocks along the way. Talk about those roadblocks and what you did to work around some of them and you know, what's standing in the way. First off, there are just like very few results on anything related to Daniel, just like in general you know, just Google. Uh, there was very few people we could contact right away about it. Like we tried to get in contact with 
his parents, his brother, and all of them. We just have, like, no response, or we just cannot find any way to contact them whatsoever. Yeah, I think a big part of this was this case happened, like, I mean, a few years ago. So it was, like, the mom, like, we know she moved to Arizona. That's kind of hard also to talk to someone in Arizona because we didn't really have contact with her. And then this is also something that people could put in the past. So they just don't really want to talk about it, and we kind of ran through that a little bit. You did get a hold of Detective Gillette, and he did answer a few of your questions. So what were some of the questions you asked him, and what was he able to, to answer? I think by the time that we... Um he had answered, we had already spoken to a few sources, so a lot of our questions were just trying to confirm information and then trying to get more information in certain parts. But like we said, he couldn't answer anything about the two men, but we did have previous knowledge that one of them is currently in jail. We're not sure if that's the one that he worked with or the, just the other guy who was there that night. And then he also didn't answer anything that was too specific about the whole case. A lot of the information he gave us was stuff that we could find online already. So this is the frustrating part about looking at cold cases the way we are. The police will answer some questions but completely shut us out on others. But we understand. Just like you see on TV or hear in the interviews, there are minutia to the case that only the police and the perpetrator will know and they cannot take the chance of releasing that to the public. We clarified a few things, like for the strip club thing, we had a few sources saying it wasn't true, and then we clarified with him, he said it was true. And then he also mentioned, like told that Daniel had a big tab that night, and we clarified with Gillette saying like he did have a big tab and he did have to pay for it, but his credit card never did get declined, like we thought it did. He's got a new job, he seems to be doing really well. That night he goes and spends a lot of money at the bar and supposedly went to a strip club. We had talked about an angle of somebody possibly trying to scam him out of his money. Did you talk to Gillette about that at all? And did he mention anything? I think it was kind of, we asked Gillette about it, but he said nothing in his bank account was major. That night, I'm pretty sure his mom deposited his check from work. That was really the only thing that happened in his bank account besides paying for the tab. So it was nothing like we thought maybe they made him give them money or something along that lines. Gillette made it seem like there wasn't much of a money aspect to this case. Uh, we know Daniel didn't really have any anything going on specifically as far as money and that just didn't seem like something to highlight. One of the things, obviously he had an addiction problem, which we can talk about that in a completely different light a little bit later, but a lot of times when people have addiction issues with alcohol, sometimes there's other things involved. Do we know if those suspects that you had talked about that are in jail and stuff, were they involved in drugs or anything else? Do we know? We do not know because those were like a key part in this case that we thought is to get more information on those two, but everywhere we talked to, we were not allowed to get information about them. And with them not talking to police, that didn't help gain more information. It was just a roadblock that we constantly ran into with those two people. One of the other roadblocks actually was my fault. We had the coroner called us and left a number with one of our assistant principals. I wrote it down on something and lost it. Now I can't get a hold of him. So um, we don't know exactly toxicology reports and things like that. But from what it sounds like, uh, it sounds like Detective Gillette said he, there wasn't drugs or anything involved with that. He did have alcohol, which they know that. Talk a little bit more about the dumping of the body. Do you think 
that that person that dumped the body knew that area or were they just trying to get out of town it seemed to me like they were just trying to get out of town you know like they just chose a direction started driving off into some cornfield in the middle of nowhere like 15 minutes away from the bar that night and away from the you know general city area just throw them into the cornfield so I don't really think they cared all too much about where to dump him. The other question is also where was he killed? Because we don't know where he went to before the cornfield where it allowed somebody to do this to him and then bring him back. Yeah, we also don't know why, like the mystery report when it was filed and then when his body was found, there was a definite expand, I mean, time frame around there. And we don't know why he was gone for that long. You would think if, like, maybe if he was killed, like, earlier than that, we just don't really know what happened between those five days and, like, where he was killed. I did say the fact that there wasn't much blood at the actual scene where he was found. So what does that tell you about wherever the crime scene is? It's probably an absolute mess. There's just, like, probably a bunch of blood everywhere at that area. Uh, it's probably some abandoned building. We don't know where it could possibly be, but... It's definitely a mess, judging on how his body is. One thing, I guess, if anybody has witnessed something strange of somebody cleaning up a weird place or spending a lot of time cleaning things like that, that could be a could be a hint. Now, do you think that the suspects were from that area, or were they just were they close enough to to go to that bar, but not necessarily from that general area? Well, like we mentioned, we know that it was a personal crime. And Daniel is from that area, uh, so we can assume that they probably did live somewhere in that area. We are not sure how close. Yeah, especially like in that area, there's a lot of cornfields around, and I feel like, because like the road where it was, it was kind of off by itself, and I feel like they could have pitched it in any cornfield, but they kind of like thought about it and went to like a road that's kind of off by itself and, and put the body in the cornfield. Well, and obviously they probably did it in the middle of the night. And obviously you, you want to hide some things and find the darkest place to do that. With that, the fact that they beat him so bad, one, you mentioned that it's probably personal. But why would somebody want Daniel dead? And why would they be so violent about it? Do you have any idea? Well, we did ask the detective if they believed that Daniel was involved in anything suspicious. And... From what it appears, he was not. Nobody knew of anything. Like we said, he had a, a promising life. And so we're not sure what could have given somebody the motivation to do this. It also could be like maybe something that happened that night. Maybe maybe it was not supposed to happen, but with that night being a little different than what we thought it would be with him drinking and stuff and going to all the strip clubs, that something could have happened that night that uh, just made it happen. I mean, it could be a just a senseless, no motivation murder, uh, which is unfortunate. But the thing about his case, like you said, there's a lot of information that's not there. That causes a problem in itself. Why do you think that it's kind of gone this long without any leads or any ideas of, of what can happen? Um, I think the main problem is they don't know where he was killed, and I think that would just open up so much for this case and until they find that spot I don't think like the case can really move on but with this happening so long ago is the evidence still there if it happened did they clean it all up after I mean it's been 16 years almost 
and so the possibility of finding new evidence is just so slim. And also without the two men who were clearly involved or know something that everybody else doesn't, without them talking, we can't get really far. Talk about your experience, not just with this case, but with this class in general. How you can use what you've done in this class in your future, even if you're not going into this kind of work. Yeah, I think a um, big part in this was communication with people. You gotta be able to talk to people. When we try to talk to the mom and stuff and how we sent her a text and the brother a text, it was like you have to realize they're going through something. This was not a great part of their life that you have to say it in a way that you can like understand how they're going and try to be nice about it. And just just talking to people and be able to realize this was a tra tragic thing. And uh, obviously this class hasn't been around for too long, so I mean people don't really know us and if you have high schoolers reaching out trying to find information about something serious like this, they might not take us seriously, so it's also doing our best to sound professional and we can offer help. And so that was definitely a struggle. Gathering evidence and stuff. Because you go through, you're reading through a lot of articles. You're trying to piece everything together. So just being able to like also like stay on task, stay organized, make sure the evidence you're reading and stuff is you think is reliable and a reliable source, and just being able to piece things together and organize it in a way that could benefit you. If you had a chance to talk to the family or talk to Detective Gillette or anybody out there that has any information, what would you say to them? I think it would be the number one person I would talk to, want to talk to in this case is probably the mom. I, it seemed like the Daniel and his mom had a great connection. It was that she was probably like, I think on one of the main reasons why he started getting better and stuff. And I, I feel like if I got a chance to talk to her, I would just I would feel bad for her because it was just something that I bet both of them were thinking in their heads maybe before this night happened that he's doing the right right step, everything's going great, and then in one in one night everything just turned around for them, and I would just really feel sorry for her. Thanks. I appreciate you guys doing this today. The hard work that this group has done, it's been difficult for them. I know I've sat with this group several times trying to figure out different ways to gather information or different questions to ask, hoping that maybe somebody will say something to us. We hope that anybody that listens to this that knows Daniel, that knows him or knows of this case and has any information that the police can use, please tell them. Please call Detective Gillette at the Columbus Police Department and give that information. Even if you don't think it's important, it could be. I would like to thank Detective Gillette and the Columbus Police Department for responding to us. Even though they weren't able to give us much, they were able to help confirm some of the things we already knew. The artwork for this podcast was created by former MHS student Emma Holbert. The theme song, Cold Case, was written and performed by Miss Jenna Brandt and produced by Noria. This song and all her music can be heard on all music streaming media. The background music for this podcast was from Purple Planet Music. Thank you for tuning in to Episode 7, Season 2 of Cold Case MHS. Tune in next time when personal connections may have led to the deaths of Wendy Berkey and Caitlin Martin. Now I chase no breaks Unsafe is the faith in the faith It's a cold case It's a cold, cold case 
Feel eyes on you 